Only the best run here at the Indianapolis 500. Mario, who do you feel you'll have to beat in this year's race? People like uh, A.J. Foyt and uh, Bobby Unser, for instance. Stand by for the checkered flag. Absolutely incredible. Danny Sullivan spun in front of Mario Andretti. A.J. has done it. He has won his fourth Indianapolis 500. Beyond the Bricks with Jay Query and Mike Thompson on 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Greetings, good evening to you. My name is Jake Query, and this is Beyond the Bricks, coming to you live from Monument Circle and MS Communications on 1075thefan.com. I'd like to thank those of you who not only are listening this evening, but perhaps listening on podcasts or after the fact, if you will. Mike Thompson joins me each and every night from 8 until 9 o'clock, where we talk about just the different storylines, kind of the backstories, Beyond the Bricks, hence the name, of the greatest sporting event in the world, the Indianapolis 500-mile race. Mike, one of the things that I most enjoy about doing this show with you, aside from your vast knowledge and your incredible audio archives, are the fact, or is the fact that like, I just got done listening and putting away permanently my uh, Sony Walkman two years ago. So when it comes to the latest technological ways to ingest audio, uh, I am completely naive. So the people that have been kind enough to ask us the questions as to how they get podcasts of this particular program, I simply defer to your expertise in that, and I appreciate your answering those questions. I'm happy to answer those, and most of them I actually just pass on to Brad and let him answer them. <laughs> That's right. Because you and I are the old guys in the room, right? Exactly, yeah. So, no, I, you know what, I've, I've been really gratified by all the interest in the show, and so many people have asked, you know, where can we hear it? And, and we had a little bit of a, a change. You know, originally some of the shows were being put on the Trackside page, and, and now they're on their own. It's got its own page. And so I just have been really gratified by how much interest there have been. And, and it's really interesting how many people consume the show on a podcast basis. And, you know, it's on demand. It's now an, an on-demand, uh, you know, way of listening to the show. And I'm really, really happy about it. So, yep, happy to help. Uh, we had a lot of fun in the first week of the show, and admittedly, you know, when you get into a race car at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, you have a pretty clear and defined road ahead of you. You have to take four left turns, all of them nine degrees in 12 minutes. Drivers will tell you that even though they geometrically are supposed to all be the same, they are in fact so vastly different. Oftentimes, when you ask people, Mike, let me let me side or let me segue that to ask you this. Mike Thompson, you have been around a lot of drivers over the years. I have always found this interesting. I've asked probably, I'm going to guess, 75 drivers of different eras. In their opinion, which turn is the trickiest at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway? And I have received varying answers. As a matter of fact, at some point, all four turns have been utilized really? in a driver answer. I have. Oh, really? But there is one turn to me that is more often said than any other. Would you like to guess which one and which do you most often hear? The one I most often hear is one. I, I always hear one. Uh, not always, but I mean, I, the majority of the answers I've heard is actually one. But I wouldn't be surprised uh, if three comes up a lot as well. Three is a challenge because you are coming with so much speed up the backstretch, right? And you know, however, in three, you at least know 
kind of geometrically with the line what you did in one coming off of a straightaway, right? Uh, I'm just telling you the different Correct. answers that I've been given. One, one of the things that I think is interesting about one, Mike, and we've, you know, I know that you have heard this a lot. In turn one, in the old days, before you had the second level of the grandstand there, and you can still see, you know, there is a smokestack that's back there on 10th Street. And before you had the windsock, drivers like in probably, what, the late 40s, early 50s going into one would look to see which way the smoke was moving out of the smokestacks, which would tell them the wind, right? Now they have the pylon to be able to see that. How they have the time to do that to me is mind-blowing because they're adjusting weights in the car. They're doing different things to set it up to help them through turn number one. It's funny you mentioned one and three. The answer that I've heard the least is four. But the answer that I have heard the most is two. Really? And the reason being, because if you look at, if you think about the wind direction and the way the wind comes up from the south and notably, of course, from the west, the southwest, turn one has enough grandstand to block a little bit and keep that wind out. But turn two has enough open areas that that wind comes across and then kind of sits on the track itself. And not saying that it is the most difficult and not saying that there aren't drivers that would tell you one or four or three. But the one that I have heard the most often when I ask, the answer is two. And it's because of the fact that the wind changes almost every other, you know, every lap. Like you never know going into the turn where if the wind is going to push you down or push you up etc and therefore i've heard the most often that that answer which i find fascinating i mean i find it totally fascinating um but what i was getting at is we didn't really know setting out on this and i know that will shock people who know me well exactly what course we were going to take but it just kind of naturally through the course of the first week of this program came to talking about some of the different things of the 50s. And one would assume that that means naturally now we're going to go like 60s and then 70s, you know, up in the 80s and beyond. But today, Mike, we aren't necessarily even going to go chronologically except for the fact that to lead off the show today, we're going to talk about a driver who you found an interview from that was conducted 39 years ago today. And that is mystifying to me that it has been 39 years ago. But we're talking about a driver who was born in Nebraska. During the time that he was racing, his hometown was listed as Grapevine, Texas. And he had been to the Indianapolis Motor Speedway on a couple of occasions before 39 years ago today. But he did a pretty interesting interview that we'll get to in a minute. But, Mike, we're talking about Gordon Smiley. Yeah, and I'll be honest with you. I I almost, I don't want to say regretted, but after I brought it up to you, I really had a couple introspective moments after I brought up the fact that, you know, Gordon Smiley, the, the reason we're talking about this is Gordon Smiley was, was on, the show was actually known for a couple years as the talk from Gasoline Alley for a couple years. And what would happen is Donald would do the first hour of the show with Kevin Calabro and, and answer questions of nostalgic nature like, like he always would and, and the show we all know. And then a lot of times, not every time, but a lot of times, Donald would leave and he'd have a personal appearance to do or a, or a talk. Um, 
at, for a group or he'd attend like the Monroe party or, a, you know, a, a sponsor event or something like that during the second hour. And in the second hour of the show, Kevin Calabro would interview a driver and he would take calls for, with the driver for the second hour of the program. And, and I came up with this audio of several shows, um, for a, a, about a three year period, very early shows. I mean, to my knowledge, they're the earliest talk of and talk from gasoline alley shows that we have archived. And one of the shows I was really surprised to find was 39 years ago tonight, the guest on the talk from gasoline alley was Gordon Smiley. And I looked at the date and it said five ten eighty two, and it immediately stuck in my mind because five fifteen eighty two was the day of his, you know, his tragic accident. And that's a seminal day in my life because that was the first day I was ever at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway and, and I was there for that accident. And and after I brought it up to you, I thought, you know, should we should we play this? And and I was kind of at first when I, I you know, I thought, yeah, we should play this. And then I then I after I brought it up to you, I almost kind of thought, you know, man, I, I almost regretted bringing it up to you because. Gordon Smiley is one of those drivers, along with Eddie Sachs and Dave McDonald and Sweet Savage, that unfortunately the way they passed away has overshadowed who they were as people. Um, you know, Art Garner did such a wonderful job in Black Noon, the book Black Noon, to tell people who Dave McDonald was and, and to he ceased being the other guy in the Eddie Sachs accident. And Eddie Sachs ceased being a guy who lost his life in the Indianapolis 500 and, and Art Garner really brought those, those people uh, and their stories where people could understand that these aren't, these aren't accidents that people watch on YouTube over and over and over. And, and there's a, there is a group of people who just, they're interested in fatal accidents because they're interested in accidents. And I've never been one of those people. I'm interested in the people. Um, so I, I kind of hesitated bringing this up to you after, you know, after I, thought about it after I brought it up and then I thought it is a good way for people to see and hear from Gordon Smiley who only know Gordon Smiley because he had one of the if not the worst accident in Indianapolis Motor Speedway history so I hope tonight when people hear the name Gordon Smiley at the beginning of tonight's show there, there's going to be some people recoiling a little bit maybe because uh, you know it's a topic that doesn't get talked about a lot and and rightfully so and and i hope that people at the end of tonight's show say you know i learned a little bit more about who gordon smiley was as a person and i don't see him solely as a as a person who you know had a terrible accident and and that's what he's only known for well i thought about it mike on the way in and i thought i certainly hope that this does not come across as two people exploiting a tragedy of Gordon Smiley or in racing for their benefit. And I understand why that critique could be presented. But rather, I think of it this way, and I appreciate everything you said, and I think hopefully you'll agree here. A number of years ago, I was fortunate enough, Mike, and I, to be asked to submit my list of the 33 greatest drivers in 500 history. And 
I I studied very hard on it. I, I you know, I went through, and I mean, it was not an easy task. Yeah, I was stretch. a part of that panel too. Yeah, that, that was, was a, it was a tough situation. That was for 2011, I believe. Yeah. Right or 2016, but it was one of the two. I can't remember which year it was. My years run together, but it was either for the 100th year or the 100th running. But I submitted my list, and I included four drivers that never won the 500. And one of those that I included was Eddie Sachs. And the reason I included Eddie Sachs is because while I was conflicted, the reality is that the danger of auto racing is part of the, unfortunately, it's part of the boundaries of the sport. And I felt it necessary. I submitted Eddie Sachs's name, and I did so as a representative of all of the men who perished in pursuit of their own personal boundary and their own, you know, drivers will all say that they know the risk. And therefore, I believe that we as spectators have to respect the fact that they know that risk and admire the fact that they that that risk is something that they face as opposed to turn from and so as a result of that i'm not saying that you celebrate in any way shape or form the tragedies but rather you you look at it and say it is an element that is known and so therefore my fear and this is what I want to make very clear to your point to piggyback off what you said. My fear is that if a driver perishes in pursuit of their goals within the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, that their legacy goes with it if we never talk about them. And so therefore... I think there are a lot of people, certainly of my age group and younger, that all they know of Gordon Smiley is the YouTube clip. So when you hear him talk, and you hear him talk about his goals, his observations, and you hear about his driving record and who he was, then if tonight we get one person to say, you know what, I didn't know that about him. Gosh, I never thought about the fact that he was a guy. And not that, and just a name. That would that's be my what I, Yeah, that's what my hope is for tonight's show as well. I'd, I'd like someone after the show to say, I learned something about Gordon Smiley. And Gordon Smiley to me is not just a YouTube clip. I, that's exactly how I Correct. would phrase it. Exactly. So let's begin with this. This is Gordon Smiley 39 years ago tonight. He is talking about, and again, by 1982, Gordon Smiley had run the 500 twice. He started in 1980 in the 20th position and finished 26th. He completed 47 laps before a turbo a turbocharger knocked him out of the race. He qualified well in 81, starting in the front three rows. He started eighth. He finished 22nd. He was involved in an accident 141 laps in. But he came in 1982 and was in pursuit of several things that we'll talk about. But this is Gordon Smiley on this night in 1982 talking about the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. 
And let's move on to another caller. Hi, you're on WIBC with Gordon Smiley. Yes, sir, Gordon. Yes, sir. Uh, I'd like to know, you know, every, dri every driver's characteristics are different. I'd like to know, uh, I know Mario when he's driving, I've noticed that when he goes into turn one, uh, right before he goes to turn left off of the straight, he seems to pull up towards the wall. <laughs> Uh, I don't know if you do that, but uh, I'd like to know why he does that or if you do it and uh, what, what's the purpose of that? Well, um, gosh, I, I hate throwing this out over the radio because maybe some of the other guys <laughs> don't know about this, but um, I was talking to one of the other guys uh, here yesterday about that and, and uh, I kind of laid it on him and I, I noticed it a couple years ago when I first came here and I asked some of the people, in fact, Sonny Myers, who builds the engines for uh, Pat Patrick's team, uh, told me about it. it what, what basically you do is, is when you come down the straightaway just before you turn left into the, the two fast corners, into one and into three, <clears throat> you turn the car right toward the fence. And then what it does is it loads up the outside of the chassis. Uh, it actually transfers some weight into the front of the chassis so that when you do make the left-hand turn down into the corner, the front of the car is loaded real well and it won't push. It's a little bit of a, a tweak. It's, it's like having a weight jacker in the car where you could j jack some weight right up to the front as you turn the car into the corner. Um, you've got to know where that spot on the track is to do that, but uh, when I start running quick out here, I always do that. I, it, it definitely helps, I think. Now, what's interesting about that, Gordon Smiley talked about a little bit there, and I think ultimately, Mike, I'm not an engineer, but the way that his car was designed, it had like a weight axle, as he talked about there, that would slide down and give more traction from the rear of the car if it started to get loose. And ultimately, I think that was a factor five days later in his accident but that's neither here nor there when he's describing right there and there's an eerie foreshadow that is the elephant in the room no doubt about it but what we're hearing in him describing it and the way he's talking about turning oftentimes would be a description given by somebody with a sports car or a road and street course racing background and the reality is that was gordon smiley's background but this was an accomplished sports car race driver and mike in addition to that one that and i've talked to a number of people that were around when he was here and raced against him was a very popular personality and that's the important thing here he was a popular and likable guy that the other drivers enjoyed because he was fittingly named smiley because my understanding is he was not unlike say a james hinchcliffe of today a gregarious personality that had an infectious um or infectious charisma about him that the other drivers liked but he was a very accomplished road and street course racer there's no question about the the part that he was absolutely an accomplished road racer um you know he he was very very accomplished in the what they called the aurora formula one championship it was it was basically the british formula one championship um he was i mean he he was very dominant in that series and and was you know on his way to a you know a very good career i think um he had a very interesting personality it's interesting you you tell me that that you talked to a lot of people who said he was very liked because he had a personality he was a very what i know of his personality he's a very strong-willed individual um he was one of the first people to really realize uh, the value of marketing yourself i think um, he put out when he was really looking for, you know, top rides, he put out his own press kit, which I thought was really interesting. 
I don't know too many drivers who were putting out their own press kits, but he put out his own press kit um, of his accomplishments in road racing and things like that. And I, I don't know many people who were doing that at the time in the in the late seventies, early eighties. Uh, he did have one incident where he he kind of ran afoul with with other drivers which was in the 81 race you mentioned he he led and he was a contender to potentially win that 81 race for pat patrick and he got into an accident with tony bettenhausen jr tony jr had a a a tire going down and was basically trying to get out of the way and uh, he and Gordon Smiley tangled. It really wasn't Tony Bettenhausen's fault, but uh, he and Gordon Smiley tangled, and, and Gordon Smiley got the worst of it and ended up in the wall. And Gordon said some really unkind things about Tony Bettenhausen and about Tony Bettenhausen's abilities on the radio network, the Speedway radio network, after that accident. And Gary Bettenhausen, if you knew anything about Gary Bettenhausen, Gary was not going to put up with that. And so Gary Bettenhausen went looking for Gordon Smiley after the race and wanted to set him straight about talking about his brother. So um, not always did he have the best relationship with other drivers, but I, I have heard other drivers who had you know plenty of nice things to say to him, say about him. He had a very, very positive relationship with Desiree Wilson, who was his uh, de facto teammate in 1982. They had raced together in that Aurora series. And they were uh, basically teammates in 1982. And, and those two uh, got along really well, as I understand. Now, interesting you mentioned the 81 crash because topic that we talked about a week ago tonight, uh, that was the accident that led to the caution, if I'm not mistaken, where Bobby Unser coming out of that caution when he came into pit, that was the caution where Bobby Unser passed the cars under yellow, Correct. I honestly, I believe there was, that may have been the case. There may have been one more caution. I, I honestly, uh, the two cautions are, are running together for me right okay. now. I thought for certain that, uh, that he may, was, that, that may was be. the caution. Yeah. Because there was a, again, there was a problem with, um, with, like I say, Tony Bettenhausen had a tire going down and then Gordon Smiley got into an, an accident and you you may be correct. I, I the cautions are in the eighty one race are kind of running together for me right. Well, now. in eighty two, when we're talking about Gordon Smiley and the fact that you had mentioned his determination, and Mike, the determination of Gordon Smiley, there was a benchmark that he had in mind in nineteen eighty two that he was certain to hit. And in addition to that, you talked about the fact that he was sending out his own press releases. There is another thing that he was in pursuit of. And he was very determined with it. But that determination caught the eye, if you will, of a few of his younger competitors who wanted to be able to help out, according to many people that I've talked to that were driving at that time, and advice they wanted to give and gave to Gordon Smiley. But some of it might have been a little bit too late. I'll get into all of that, and we'll hear a little bit more from him when we come back to Beyond the Bricks. The Indiana Union construction industry remains focused on getting the job done and keeping our communities running. We all look forward to getting back on track. For over 100 years, our contractors and skilled tradesmen and women built and maintained Indiana's hospitals, highways, bridges, schools, and utilities, essential infrastructure that keeps our state moving forward during all conditions. And with safety as a top priority, we're ready for whatever it takes to rebuild our economy. We built Indiana's past, and we'll be there to build Indiana's future. 
Indiana Union Construction Industry. Value on display every day. I am Amber Agan, a union heavy equipment operator. I chose a career in construction because I am built to succeed. You can get an associate's degree without a student loan debt doing something you like that has good earning potential. For more information about apprenticeships with Indiana Careers in Construction, visit builttosucceed.org. Skilled on principle, union by choice. Tony Katz here. Stay tuned for All American Heroes, a look at military history at the track brought to you by HeroLoan.com. The VA loan is one of the best benefits of being in the military. You can buy a home with no money down. You can refinance and cash out up to 100% of your home's equity. And interest rates are up to a full point lower than other loans. At HeroLoan.com, we want to earn your business. We pay for the appraisal and can close your VA loan in as little as 14 days. Get the loan you deserve and apply online today at HeroLoan.com. The only way to VA. NMLS number 1326241. This is Jake Query of IndyCar Radio. There has been a military presence at the Speedway all the way back before the first 500 in 1911. Between 1909 and 1947, all the policing was conducted by the Indiana National Guard. One tradition that still remains from that era is the firing of a cannon early on race morning to signify that the gates are open. HeroLoan.com, the only way to VA. The Indiana Union construction industry remains focused on getting the job done and keeping our communities running. We all look forward to getting back on track. For over 100 years, our contractors and skilled tradesmen and women built and maintained Indiana's hospitals, highways, bridges, schools, and utilities. Essential infrastructure that keeps our state moving forward during all conditions. And with safety as a top priority, we're ready for whatever it takes to rebuild our economy. We built Indiana's past, and we'll be there to build Indiana's future. The Indiana Union Construction Industry. Value on display every day. I'm Trent Todd, business representative for Sheet Metal Workers Local 20. Our members and contractors have been the clean air and building enclosure specialists for over 100 years. We lead the industry in professionally installed energy-efficient HVAC systems, as well as properly installed architectural roofing and siding packages. From clean air to dry buildings, our team will exceed all your expectations. Skilled on principle, union by choice. Brad Huber running the big board for us. Jake Quarry along with Mike Thompson. Already the double flags over the bricks right now to signify the halfway mark as we're halfway through this episode of Beyond the Bricks. Mike, in talking about Gordon Smiley, um, one of the things that I was told was, you, you know, back in those days in 1981, we, we were removed from the – 200 mile an hour barrier in terms of a single lap. I mean, Tom Sneva had already done that, but in terms of a four lap qualifying average, and you had some disparity, you know, from pole speed to, to 11th row speed, that kind of thing. But Gordon Smiley heading into 1982 was a very determined driver. He was a driver that had reputed to be a, a road and street course driver and a sports car guy. And he was determined to have a four-lap qualifying average of 200 miles an hour. And in addition to that, he was determined to accumulate as much sponsorship as he could for himself and for his car. And with that, he was very daring when it came to trying to get as much speed as possible out of the car. And I talked to, and I guess out of respect to the drivers, I won't say names, but I talked to one driver that told me that he vividly remembered being down near turn number one, 
during a practice when he was not driving and listening to the cars going into the turns and one of the veteran drivers saying to him, that car right there is lifting a little too late into the turn. And several of the veterans said, hey, let's get one of the guys who's been around here that Gordon Smiley, because that's what car it was, has a good relationship with that, that can tell him, listen, I know how badly you want speed, but you're lifting a little bit too late. You got to do so earlier or else you're going to be at risk. And Smiley, as I understand it, said, hey, I, I totally understand what you're saying and I'm aware of it, but I'm really, really determined to get a four-lap qualifying average out of the car at 200 miles an hour. And the team also had apparently told him, you know, talk to him, but he was, he was, that was his barrier. That was his goal was that 200 miles an hour and he was going to do what he could to get it and part of it Mike I think truthfully was because Gordon Smiley wanted to lock down having left Patrick Racing the year before I think he wanted to secure himself the kind of sponsorship that was going to cement him long term in the Indy 500 and that sort of determination to me while obviously tragic is commendable yeah one of the one of the sound bites that we're going to hear, I think, here in a little bit, he wanted to emulate Tom Sneva. Um, he thinks he mentions that he he picked up some speed secrets from Tom Sneva, and and uh, in this interview he did with Kevin Collab, actually he mentions that he thinks Tom Sneva is the best IndyCar driver in the whole series, and he wants to be Tom Sneva, basically he says, and he says that he's been picking up some speed secrets and and. You know, he, he basically wants to be Tom Sneavy, he said. And so at that time, you're thinking, you know, the, the first the first driver to 200 miles an hour, um, you know, this is this is a guy I want to be. Um, so I can I can see where that was a number probably that he had in his head. Um, he now he if you listen to the entire interview, he talks about uh, at the time, you know, Rick Mears in the in the Penske PC10 was the was easily the fastest car, and he mentions he says I don't think anybody can touch Rick Mears, and and basically it's Rick Mears's to lose, and and it was as far as the poll that weekend. But he mentions in the in one of the sound clips I think we're going to hear tonight that you know he wants to basically be Tom Sneva, and, and if and if he could be Tom Sneva, that he'd be really really happy with his performance here is gordon smiley talking to kevin calabro on his goal of making his car faster back here uh, with talk from gasoline alley and gordon smiley is our guest scca champion aurora formula one champion two indies this will be his third uh in 1980 started 20th finished 25th and 81 started eighth with a qualifying speed of 192 988 led one lap and crashed after 141 finished 22nd and uh, Gordon, 192.988 last year, and you're up to 196 now. And it seems like the entire field is, is the speed it just climbs every year now for some reason. And uh, better aerodynamics, I guess, with the car, uh, increased horsepower. What, what has been the difference between the two years? Apparently, there's a, there's a big combination of both, Kev. I, I don't know whether uh, everybody thinks they're, they're guarding a lot of secrets. I, I get the feeling right now, so I don't know for sure what everything is by any means. But uh, I'd be real worried about 192.9 this year making the field. Last year it was great, you know, yeah. from time I was in real comfortably. Isn't that an amazing step in one year? It really is. Uh, how do you adjust to it? 
<laughs> well, it isn't really hard. I'll tell you that I, I found now as our speeds are starting to escalate, uh, the car becomes more comfortable the faster you go with it. These cars are designed to go fast, and uh, when they're not being driven fast or they're not set up right, then they're uncomfortable. So as the car gets going faster, it's easier to drive, basically. So that's real encouraging to me. Oh, you going faster boy. make my job easier. <laughs> I was just wondering if there's uh, any type of uh, psych job you have to do to yourself when you when you go a little bit faster. Well, the only thing that I've found here, and, and again, this is from my lack of experience. I'm sure it isn't this way for, for all the vets. Uh, in order to drive the car flat on the floor all the way around, there is some type of psychological barrier that you need to get through. Once you have driven all four corners on one lap flat on the floor, it just clicks and, and you think, well, there's no reason to lift off the gas pedal. I know I don't have to. I know if I do, it'll slow me down. So once you get the car so you can drive it flat on the floor all the way around, then you just keep making it go faster and faster by adjustments and the speed comes. Do you find, uh, is it rough in the corners? Not really. There's a bump in, in uh, between one and two and in between three and four, and you just compensate for them. You have to do some setup of the car to accommodate yeah. them, but it's, it's, it's bumpy coming out of the pits. Does the wind bump at the car at all? A little. It depends yeah. on how, ra how fast the wind is blowing between the grandstands. Yeah. That's Gordon Smiley talking about finding the speed in the car, and then, of course, five days later, he makes his qualifying attempt, and it is my understanding that one of the final things he said was that, you know, hey, I'm going to average 200. Here is Gordon Smiley talking about qualifying. That leads right into another question I wanted to ask you, if, if I may, caller. Uh, mental preparation for qualifications, your third year. Will this year's uh, preparation vary, say, from your rookie year here in 80? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I, so. I now realize, I think the first two years I was real calm. I went out and I did what I felt was a competent job. I, I know I could have gone faster both years. Uh, but I got the car in the show, that's all my bosses told me they wanted me to do, and that's all I did. But that's not the case this year. And I've watched Tom Sneva do his qualifying thing. He's an amazing stand on the gas in qualifying this year. And uh, it produces results. I got to try it at Atlanta. I went four miles an hour faster in qualifying than I'd gone in two days. And I know you can do it. You can screw yourself up for it and really get it on. And uh, I'm going to do that this year. Mario was talking about being pumped up. He says you just get as puffy as you can. And you can feel it when you're in the groove and when you're really clicking and turning it on. Is it the same way with you when you're in the cockpit? I think so. I'm getting more that way. And I think the experience I'm gaining and uh, the abilities that that's producing for me is, is helping me be able to do that. Uh, yeah, you can definitely feel it. You go out and say, hey, this is it. Uh, all my guys have worked all month long to get me in this position. If I let them down, I'm letting them down. I'm letting myself down. And I'm not going to do that. I'm going to go out and stand on the gas. I'm going to put it on the floor and drive that sucker around as hard as I can. Gordon Smiley, after his accident, was laid to rest in his home state of Nebraska. Mike, in listening to that, what I take away from it, I guess in summary or in conclusion, is it is tragic what happened to Gordon Smiley, and it is a graphic reminder of the dangers that racing presents. However, it also is a reminder of the determination and as he talked about right there very openly, his own personal barrier that he wanted to break through. And in life, in pursuit of greatness, oftentimes we all find our own barrier to push. And Gordon Smiley unfortunately passed, but he passed pushing his own barriers. And for that, he represents the bravery and the, you know, the determination that goes in 
to making the Indianapolis 500 is one of the many things, but it is one of the factors that makes it a the event that it is and with the lore that it has. Um, so I say that as a tribute and as a, as, as a respect to Gordon Smiley's determination to do what it is that makes race car drivers race car drivers, and that is pursue the ultimate barrier of speed. And, you know, I, I, well, I appreciate you bringing that in because I do think that it shows a little bit of who he was and what drove him. Well, and, and as I said at the beginning, what happened with Gordon Smiley, that was one of the most important days of my life because I had waited from the time I was six years old until the time I was 12 years old, I finally got to go to the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. My my uncle was who the, he basically was the ringmaster of the trip every year. And he told me I wasn't able to go on the trip to qualifying until I turned 12. And my birthday's in March, so I was now 12. And the first day I ever got to be at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway was May 15th, 1982. And less than an hour after I we got there, we got there late due to a variety of um, circumstances you know gordon smiley had his fatal accident and i mean i'll never forget the sound of that accident um it it sounded like you know thousands and thousands of people making this (gasps) sound at the exact same time when it happened i mean i'll never forget that sound and when you're 12 years old you're not really prepared for that um and i my dad was there with me, and, and I, I vividly remember saying after, you know, we knew that it was a, a fatal accident, I, you don't really, you're not, I mean, I was thinking going into that day, you know, where can I buy a Rick Mears picture for my wall? Where can I buy the Carl Hungness yearbook? You're thinking things like that. I wasn't thinking I was going to have to think about things like what happened to Gordon Smiley that day. And, you know, I remember vividly saying to my dad, you know, being really upset and my dad saying you know this doesn't happen a lot but if you're going to love this sport as much as i know you love it you're going to have to understand that this is something that can happen and i remember thinking on the whole way home is this something i really want to be a part of and that's a pretty deep thought for a 12 year old it's something i remember thinking the whole way home do do I really want to be involved in this or do I want to just watch, you know, Lance Parrish hit baseballs for the Tigers or, or whoever, you know, my favorite baseball players and things like that. Um, but I stuck with it because, you know, I love the sport that much, but it's, it was a really important day for me because, you know, it, it was really something that, you know, you, you're, you're presented with something that you're just not expecting at 12 years old to have to think about. And so Gordon Smiley's always been an important person in my life for, you know, the wrong reason. But but I always have wanted to honor Gordon Smiley. And and as you mentioned, Eddie Sachs and Tony Bettenhausen and Scott Brayton and, you know, and some of the people that we've lost, you know, have been friends of mine. Greg Moore was a friend of mine. I consider Greg Moore a friend. I mean, I knew Dan Weldon fairly well. Um, you know, I I thought the world of Justin Wilson. Um you know, so I, you know, I mean, I've lost friends in this, as I know you have, Jake. And you, you have to th- sit there and, you know, I, every time that happens, I, I go back to being 12 years old. And I go back to thinking of that day of, you know, if you're going to love this sport, 
things like this can happen sometimes, but I think of it in a similar way to what you just presented us a minute ago with Jake, which is, you know, I mean, Gordon Smiley, he was in a pursuit of, he was in a pursuit of his excellence. He was in a pursuit of his perfection. And for his perfection that day was he wanted to do his 200 mile an hour lap and put this car, you know, for his new team in the Indianapolis 500. And, and, and I, I choose to remember Gordon Smiley with the audio that we played tonight. I, I don't choose to remember Gordon Smiley for the accident. I choose to remember him, you know, that he, he's one of the few list of drivers who led the Indianapolis 500 and, you know, I choose to remember him in that way. And by the way, that list of drivers that have led the Indianapolis 500 uh, only within the last 10 years or so made it to over 200. There are 200 laps in the Indy 500. There are now over 200 drivers who have led the race at some point. The 200th driver, none other than the aforementioned Justin Wilson, by the way. One other thing I wanted to add uh, to, to kind of finish this segment before we take our final break of the night um back and and I've got to think of when it was but I believe it was in October of 19 so just before you know the world kind of stopped um I was at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway because there was a vintage race and Willie T Ribs who I've gotten to know and I, I love Willie T Willie T was running in it so Mike when would that have been was that like October of 19 when there was this the the vintage race taking place do you recall I, I, not to put uh, you on the, the spot race- there I yeah, the vintage races, to my knowledge, have always been in the in the summer. Was it in the summer? Um, it may have been, but yeah. it was after. But at any rate, it was in nineteen, and I went out because I wanted to see Willie T run, and he won, by the way. And afterwards, I was down in the near Victory Circle, and I looked over, and there was a woman with a with a young man that was, you know, I don't know, in his mid to late twenties. And it came up in conversation. Someone mentioned to me, well, that's Irene Marcello and Joby Marcello Jr. And Irene Marcello was, or is, the widow of Joby Marcello, who was fatally injured 10 years to the day of Gordon Smiley while practicing as a rookie in the Indy 500. And I did not know a lot about Joby Marcello at that time, but I went up and introduced myself to Irene and Joby, who were just as nice as could be. And it was Irene's first trip back to Indianapolis since she had been when Jovi first came to Indy, and then she was flying back home when the accident took place. She was pregnant at the time with Jovi Marcello Jr. Um, I became Facebook friends with her and have interacted with her. She lives in Vancouver now and just could not be more of a delightful woman. And Jovi Marcello Jr. is uh, a very nice and impressive young man. And they were at the Speedway just to kind of pay homage and to feel close to Jovi and Jovi Jr.'s first time to the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. And I have talked to her on a number of occasions, and she has basically insinuated to me, Mike, what you had said and the fact that she wants to make sure that people know Jovi Marcello more than just that clip. And so I told her that I would do my best to do exactly that. Uh, Jovi Marcello actually was educated at St. Mary's College in California, which is, um, they make the NCAA tournament just about every other year. Randy Bennett, who's their head coach, actually has a mother that lives here in Southport, believe it or not. But that's where Jovi Marcello came, even though he was a native of the Philippines whose father raced everything. Jovi Marcello's father raced drag cars, and you know, you name it, his father raced it. 
but Jovi wanted to make sure that he was educated, you know, and and thought about going into the world of business. So he graduated from college, and that's when the racing bug caught him. And he went in and raced Toyota Atlantics, and in doing so, not only won Toyota Atlantic races, but in 1991 was the season champion defeating Jimmy Vassar, who finished four points behind him in the season championships in Toyota Atlantics. So he was a very accomplished driver who then got his opportunity in kart and driving in kart. Uh, he had a test with Derek Walker. He eventually got himself a kart ride. He drove in Long Beach. He drove at Surfers Paradise in Australia. And he did not place points the way they did it back in those days. But still, he was beginning his racing career when he was unfortunately fatally injured in practice on May 15th of 1992. Now, Irene Marcello did tell me, she said, I would like people to know that he was truly an amazing person, a great husband, a great father, son, brother, and friend. And I would hope that people have the respect and love in knowing that he was those things above and beyond and first and foremost of being a race car driver. And I did not know Jovi Marcello. It is disingenuous to say that I know well his family, but you can oftentimes judge the character of an individual by the people they surround themselves with. And in terms of his widow or wife, whichever way you'd like to say it, and his son, they then Jovi Marcello must have been a heck of a person because they are two very, very dear people who should be nothing other than 100% proud of the fact that Jovi Marcello clearly was a great person and a very accomplished driver who passed away on May 15th of 1992. So Godspeed to Jovi Marcello as well as Gordon Smiley. We'll take one final break. We'll be back. It's Beyond the Bricks. The Indiana union construction industry remains focused on getting the job done and keeping our communities running. We all look forward to getting back on track. For over 100 years, our contractors and skilled tradesmen and women built and maintained Indiana's hospitals, highways, bridges, schools, and utilities. Essential infrastructure that keeps our state moving forward during all conditions. And with safety as a top priority, we're ready for whatever it takes to rebuild our economy. We built Indiana's past, and we'll be there to build Indiana's future. The Indiana Union Construction Industry. Value on display every day. Hi, this is John Ballard, business manager of the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 103. No matter what you drive on, concrete or asphalt, we've helped build it. Our members operate the large equipment needed to complete the roads you drive on. Operating Engineers, Local 103, skilled on principle, union by choice. The VA loan is one of the best benefits of being in the military. You can buy a home with no money down. You can refinance and cash out up to 100% of your home's equity. And interest rates are up to a full point lower than other loans. At HeroLoan.com, we want to earn your business. We pay for the appraisal and can close your VA loan in as little as 14 days. Get the loan you deserve and apply online today at HeroLoan.com. The only way to VA. NMLS number 1326-241. You know, many people my age who went to college, they'll do something great in the future. But I'm doing something great now. If you like seeing what you accomplish every day, 
Why not make that your career instead of a desk job? I know a lot of people without any direction. Well, my direction is up while I help build this high rise. Your training is free, so you learn while you earn. My friends finished their degree in four years. That's about what it took for us to finish laying down about a dozen new roads. Careers as a union laborer are rewarding and ready now. As a member of Laborers Local 120, you'll earn good pay and benefits with lots of job choices. I do pipeline work. I'm a concrete finisher. I lay miles and miles of asphalt. This is Ward Daniels, business manager of Labor's Local 120. Joining us can lead to a satisfying career for you or someone you know. So join us. Join us. Join us. We are now accepting qualified apprentices and journeymen. Visit LionaBuildsIndiana.org to apply. Mike, I had mentioned when we did our list of the 33 greatest drivers in Indy 500 history for the Centennial Celebration that I had four drivers on my list that actually were not 500 winners. Uh, Eddie Sachs won for the reasons of which I explained. Would you like to guess the other three non-winners on my list? Uh, You would have had Ted Horn on your list. That is correct. You would have had Michael Andretti on your list. That is correct. And the fourth one was going to be probably harder. Uh, Potentially Lloyd Ruby? No. Okay. Let me ask you this. How many did you have that were non-winners on your list? Uh, I think we did do that in 2011. Okay. And at the time, I believe I had two. I had Michael and I had Ted Horn. Yeah. I believe it's It's very – I mean, two. it's it's virtually impossible to leave off those now, two, obviously. Now, when we did the WIBC 33 uh, a few years later – uh, we only had one. We only had Michael. Michael was the only non-winner on the list. At okay, that point. so who would have come after 2011 that bounced Ted Horn out? Do you recall? Would it have been uh, Weldon? I, because I can't uh, recall. Yeah, Weldon. Weldon won his second, and so that when Weldon in, won his right? second, yeah, yeah, I believe that bounced him out. I'd have to double check the list, but but yeah, there was there was only Michael was the only non-winner. On the WIBC 33, I know that. The fourth that I had as a non-winner, and let me explain the individual before you guess, okay? There is a generational bias in my answer, and I am the first to admit that. So, Teo Fabi. <laughs> it is not Teo Fabi, despite <laughs> the fact that I was given free skull bandits in the Southeast Vista. That's why I, I thought 10. it would be. Um, I thought this individual's driving record was amazing. I thought this individual's persistence in overcoming insurmountable odds to not only get back in the car, but to do so and get back in the car um, at the highest level was amazing. And I just thought that the journey of this individual represented everything about the 500 that I love. And I think his talent level merited being on the list. And I put him in there. And at the time, I expected probably people to question or snicker at me. And it actually was received by people who said that actually is an excellent and outstanding and worthy selection, which I was happy about. Jim Herdebees. Also an excellent guest. Um I came up with a driver who finished second, third, fourth, and second in his first four races, then was put oh, into Roberto a coma Guerrero. after an accident and came back yeah. from that and still got a pole. Roberto Guerrero. Roberto Guerrero is correct. 
I th- would have thought Jim Herdebees only because he seems to be a popular choice for the Hall of Fame, although I I think we could do a whole show on that, and maybe we will do a whole show on that. I, I can't get behind that candidacy for the Hall of Fame. Roberto Guerrero, I mean, what an amazing start to his career. Uh, I... I understand the I certainly understand the the reason you put Roberto Guerrero. I mean obviously I I did not put Roberto Guerrero. He would have been you know in the mix. I would have understood certainly where you were coming from on that. He had an a, just an outstanding start to his career and then that that obviously that accident that that put him in the coma really, you know, derailed what was going to be an amazing it was it was an amazing Indianapolis 500 career, and what an incredibly great guy Roberto Guerrero is. But I, it's you know I think one one show we could do is honestly people who we know them for one specific thing, right? So Roberto Guerrero, he, you mentioned what an amazing career he started off with, right? Second, third, fourth, second could have won the Indianapolis 500. What I Everybody I know talks about Roberto Guerrero. What do they talk about? Oh, the well, I mean, if it's not the fact that, of course, his terrible accident, but the the stalled engine, it's got to be eighty-seven. No, no right? they, they talk about the fact that he that he crashed out as the pole sitter in nineteen ninety. Oh well, yeah, 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 of course, yeah, the Quaker State, so, of course. So, I did a media go karting event with him one time. He drew the pole for the media go kart event. What do you think the first thing somebody said was? Of, of oh, course. Roberto's on the pole. Hope hope you can make it through the first turn without crashing. That's at the media go kart event. <laughs> you know, did I mean? they ever determine what happened there? Oh, I mean, a, obviously it was you know it was like yeah, twenty six degrees outside, but yeah, cold. Yeah, I mean the tires are cold and you know not up to temp, and you know he got on the gas and it got away from him, and that you know that happens, and he said that that happens, but you know I think there's guys like that that are unfortunately because of the magnitude of the event that are defined by a specific thing. I mean, we could do a whole show on, on poor Kevin Kogan. I was, I mean, Kevin, okay, hold on. Kevin Kogan. Mike, you I just read Kevin, my mind. Kogan though, there's two things. Okay. The big one, go ahead and tell me the first that you think. Well, people... the, I think Kevin Kogan gets the worst rap and, and I get in trouble for this, but I think Kevin Kogan gets the worst rap from some part of the fan base of any driver in Indianapolis 500 history. I mean, I understand that he, at the beginning of the 82 race, he bounced off A.J. Foyt and Mario Andretti. I mean, if he bounced <laughs> off Chet Phillip and Bill Whittington or Chet You're Phillip right. and, you know, and and somebody else, I don't think we'd be talking about it the way we talk about it because of of who he bounced off of. But I'm convinced, and, and no one will ever be able to convince me that that, I mean, I think something broke on that car because... That's what I think because of the way it yeah. skips out on him. Yeah, and and... And that could have happened to anybody. And again, like I said, if he bounces off, you know, and no disrespect to Chet Phillip and, you know, whoever else you want to name, Tom Bigelow or whoever else, you know, if he bounces off of two guys in row five, it's probably not as big of a thing. And we're probably not still talking about it as if he bounces off the two biggest names now at the time in the sport. You know, the other thing that, and, and there's no doubt that that's, you know, Coogan, I mean, that's the number one thing people well, think. Right. Of, right? That's, and you're that's sending a, I mean, a, you know, what is it? The, the quote from Mario, you're sending a, a child to do a man's the, job the boys, or something. Yeah. It was uh, children. This is what happens or a when boy, you children. Yeah. yeah right. But the other thing that I think about in the final minute of the show here is the 1986 restart. When they go to Kevin Kogan in his car and he says, 
Uh, guys, I'm a little busy right now. Yeah, Sam, and- I'm a little busy right now. Exactly. <laughs> but that's shoo, like there I goes say, Bobby I mean, Rahal. Poor, poor Kevin. I mean, Kevin Kogan is one of the nicest people you'd ever want to meet. He's always been just tremendous with the fans. If you, if you, you know, he, he's had some health challenges and hasn't been able to uh, answer as much fan mail as he used to be able to. But he, he, he's one of the nicest people you'd ever want to meet, and and he's just defined by this whole Coogan thing. And, and I just think it's unfair. I've always felt I, I could go on a little bit about it, but um, when I was on the Denny Smith show, the first thing I ever did on WIBC, a guy called in and said. I want to talk about my least favorite driver, Kevin Kogan. And I'm like, this was 2011. <laughs> so poor Kevin Kogan. But you know what, Mike? Believe it or not, um, we're like Sam Posey coming to us. We're a little busy right now because we're on lap 199, actually lap uh, 200. So we'll do it again tomorrow night at 8 o'clock. Sound good? Sound good to me. All right. Appreciate everybody listening. Tomorrow night, 8 o'clock, same time right here. Thanks for listening to Beyond the Bricks. The Indiana union construction industry remains focused on getting the job done and keeping our communities running. We all look forward to getting back on track. For over 100 years, our contractors and skilled tradesmen and women built and maintained Indiana's hospitals, highways, bridges, schools, and utilities. Essential infrastructure that keeps our state moving forward during all conditions. And when safety is a top priority, we're ready for whatever it takes to rebuild our economy. We built Indiana's past, and we'll be there to build Indiana's future. The Indiana Union Construction Industry, value on display every day. Hi, I'm Jason Smith at the Heat and Frost Insulators Local 18. Installing, repairing, or retrofitting insulation on your mechanical system saves money, and no one does it better than us. If you need a contractor, we're on the web at insulators18.org. Skilled on principle, union by choice. Listen up, Class A CDL drivers. Pepsi Beverages North America is hiring in Indianapolis. This is your chance to work for a Fortune 50 company and experience all the great pay and benefits that go along with it. Join the team and you'll have the opportunity to receive up to a $2,000 sign-on bonus. Great benefits, target pay of $70,000 plus, and be home every night. Not to mention you'll be working with new equipment. Take the first step toward your future. Apply online today at PepsiCoJobs.com. Hannah complained.